me just say, after a year, I guess this week, of serving at First Baptist Church, it is such, again, I want to say, an honor to serve with such a fine group of people and such a wonderful congregation. Many of you who have been here for years, some of you have joined ranks since I've been here, and God is using gifts and talents. You know, it's one thing to have a gift and a talent. It's another thing to use it for God's glory. And my hope and prayer is that for 2015, that you and I will seize these moments for God and seize this time for His will and His purpose. And you who have been planted and you who are flourishing and you who have a gift that maybe your spouse and maybe not even your family even know about, that you would use that for His glory. There is nothing like the time that is right now. This morning, last week, we looked uh, together in the scriptures in Mark and you might have said if you jotted down in your Bible gosh this sounds vaguely familiar because it's the same passage of scripture that we did for last week and last week's of course as we as we looked at the scripture was love is transforming and everything that matters in life was built on love and today we turn to God um, and when we think about God you know again I asked the the two questions what does it mean to love and what does it mean to be loved for you? Everything that matters in life is built on love. Love is the foundation of our relationship to God. It is the foundation or should be the foundation of our home. Love must be the foundation of the church if the church is to flourish and if the church is to grow in him and through him and if the church is to be all that she needs to be. And so it leads me to ask the question, if, if God is ultimately in control of everything, and let's just say that he is for the sake of argument today, if God is, is so in control and he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, the omnipresent God that we celebrate, then what matters to God? What are the things that matter to God? And I would go as far as to say that the things that matter to God must be the things that matter to us. And there's so many things that you and I are willing to fight for or to fight over that in the end really don't matter to God. Uh, and it used to be, and my wife can attest to this, that you know, if there was a cause to fight for, I'd be there. I will fight for it. I will, I will give it my best. And what I soon realized is you and I can fight over every single thing. Because here's what I know about Baptists. When you put three of us in a room, there are 15,000 opinions about the way something needs to be done. And so I was the one that you would want to call to fight for the cause or whatnot. And my objective in fighting was, what do you think it was? It was to win. And there are many arguments and there are many battles that I have won in my life at the loss of other people. At the loss of significant others that basically wouldn't be involved anymore because I was so strong or I was so animate or I was so passionate. Listen, passion is great, but knowing how to funnel that passion, knowing what to do with your passion and my passion is critical to group environment. It's critical to your job life. It's critical to your home life. It's critical to church, and life, to church life. What matters to God must matter to us. If it doesn't matter to God, I'm going to suggest it shouldn't 
matter to us. Now, we've got this event coming up uh, in a couple weeks here. We're going to have Super Bowl Sunday. We'll have Super Bowl party downstairs. I think it's February 1st. Um, and uh, we'll have good food and all this stuff. And some of you are going to be very passionate about who wins. In fact, you're going to show more passion and more vigor in that moment of the Super Bowl than you've ever shown to the people of God in the life of the church. But I'm going to suggest to you that God doesn't really care who wins the Super Bowl. I know that's hard. I mean, God does care if Duke wins, but God doesn't care about any of the other teams. God, and here's the thing. You and I get so caught up in these types of things. What matters to God must matter to us. If it doesn't matter to God, it shouldn't matter to us. What matters to Him? Everything that matters to God, just like everything in life that matters is built on love, everything that matters to God is built on on love. Let's first and foremost look in the scriptures. God's relationship to the world is built on love. Why? Because God cares about the world. The world matters to God. Lost people matter to God. Now I'm going to give you an illustration I was sharing earlier this week with with a group of people that uh, you ever have those moments where you're in a group setting and you realize you don't really feel a part of that group. This happened to me, and this is a serious story. It was one of those uh, times in my ministry where I kind of stand back and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and one of those was in 2006, uh, a deacon of mine in Louisiana and I had traveled to Greensboro to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, if you've never been to a Southern Baptist Convention, it's a bunch of uh, very, 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 very start shirts, kind of, you know, we kind of, uh, poke our chests out and we talk about how great our churches are and there's no problems in our churches because God's there and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne so to speak and there's nothing wrong in our churches and so that's the kind of thing that happens at the Southern Baptist Convention all the politics of course are decided before you ever get to the convention so basically they're just looking for a rubber stamp of what wants to be done. Now if one of those convention presidents is listening in today uh, I'm just telling the truth uh, if you want to change I'll be more than happy to help you to change it but that's just the way it is as we find ourselves today. And so 2006 Six, I'm in the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, it, was, it was good because Condoleezza Rice, uh, who was Secretary of the State at the time, had come to speak. And see, I'm not, I mean, as much as I'm political, it doesn't really matter uh, it, what political party. If there's somebody important that's going to be speaking, I will give them respect, and I, you know, I want to listen to what they have to say. And so Condoleezza Rice comes up to the podium. And, of course, thunderous applause from the Southern Baptist Convention. Imagine that. Um, and uh, so she begins to speak. And it was a great speech. I don't remember anything about the speech except the part that was horrific. And in that speech, as Condoleezza Rice spoke, she talked about the ace card. And one of the four ace cards that the United States had been trying to hunt down. And those were members of Al-Qaeda. Now, I'm going to go venture in here. And some of you are going to disagree with this statement. But... Uh, as she began to speak, she talked about a specific one, last name Zerkawi, and she said, and I forget what his first name was, but Zerkawi will no longer terrorize the United States. We have killed him. He is dead. Now, from the same podium that the gospel of Christ is preached, she pronounces that this man is dead. And with what she said, there was thunderous applause from the Southern Baptist Convention. Everybody rose to their feet and applauded except for me and the deacon who was sitting to my right. And I was sitting there like this. I could not believe that we would applaud the death of someone that we believe 
for all practical purposes, is not sitting at the right hand of God. Why? Because for me, God loves the world and God loves lost people, even the people that are attempting to terrorize us and even the people that are thwarting God's name, people that hate God. God has never given up on them, and I don't think we should. We should never applaud the death of individuals. We should pray, pray, pray that God would give us the opportunity, that God would give us the courage and the strength that you and I need to radically transform the world through Christ. I do not believe the solution to our world's problems is a tank. I believe our solution to the world's problems is for Christians to stand up and be radical followers of Jesus, defiant followers of Jesus. I believe that because Jesus changed the world. How do I know that the relationship or God's relationship to the world is built on love? Well, if you and I would look in John chapter 3. Now, most of you know this. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 The Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son for it. He did not send his Son. And then verse 17 kind of explains the purposes of sending his son. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, nor did he send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but God sent his son into the world, according to verse 17. He sent his son into the world uh, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Who is God interested in saving the world? Who's in the world, you and me and everybody else, including those who are fighting against the cause of the United States today and who are fighting against the cause of Christ? You see, you and I don't get to decide who's worthy of the gospel of Christ and who's not. You and I don't get to decide who's in and who's out. You and I don't get to decide who deserves God's grace and who doesn't. Now, I've been in churches, and many of you probably have too, that we practice that. We decide whose grace, who gets the grace and who doesn't. And some of you have come to those horrific, toxic atmospheres of faith where the people dispense God's grace. God dispenses His grace. God is the one who saves. Regardless of what, who we are, what we are, what we embody, God is interested in us because He loves us. If we don't believe He loves us, that makes the gospel completely false. Because God says he loved us enough that he sent his son. God's relationship to the world is built on love. God's desire is for the world to have eternal life. If you look at uh, John chapter 6 verse 40 in the 40th chapter it says, For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. God's desire for the entire world, no matter who you want to think today is not worthy of the gospel of Christ, God is interested in in them. God is interested in him. God is interested in her. I'm not saying that we're not fighting for justice or we're not fighting for truth in our American causes worldwide. But what I am suggesting, it is a far cry to go from that point to applaud the death of someone that we believe is lost. You and I don't have the opportunity to give up 
on anyone, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do, regardless of how they act. Now, and, and it's easier said than done. But the world matters to God. God loves the world. God loves you. And there's absolutely nothing that you or I can do about it. God's relationship to the world is built on love. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is why you should always have learned the Bible, uh, the books of the Bible. That way you can quickly turn to it. Give my plug. By the way, you learn that as a child because an adult invested into your life. I'll give that plug again. First Timothy, First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And the Bible tells us this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that all People be saved. All people matter to God. Therefore, all people must matter to you and to me. God's relationship to the world is built on love. Another one of God's relationships, God's relationship to his son is built on love. You can look in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17, Mark chapter 1 verse 11, Luke chapter 3 verse 22, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. They all say this. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. God speaking about his son Jesus Christ. All those verses of scripture speak of the love that God has for his son and the fact that God is pleased with what his son has accomplished. Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. You can see that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 42, Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Luke chapter 22, verse 42. It says, uh, and Jesus basically praying this prayer, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, Jesus is making this prayer when he is in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples are supposed to be praying and they've fallen asleep right before the Roman soldiers come to take him away to be tried. Jesus is fervently praying and he's praying, God, he understands, Jesus finally understands that God's will or he believes that God's will is that he will die for the sake of many. And so he gives this this prayer. And he prays, God, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was motivated by the Father's will. Jesus was motivated by the purpose of God in his life. You and I, what matters to God must matter to us. What matters to Jesus must matter to us. You and I must be concerned about fulfilling our God-given mission, whatever that mission encompasses. You and I must be about fulfilling God's will rather than simply going through life doing what we want to do. God's relationship to His Son is built 
own love. The fullness of God is contained in Jesus. Jesus is a perfect representation of God. Colossians 1, 19-20, it says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things by making peace through the blood, the blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus represents everything that God is about. Everything that matters to God the Father was lived out in the person of Jesus Christ. And so everything that matters to God, we must attempt to live out in our lives as well. You and I are called to love because He has first loved us. You and I are called to pray. You and I are called to serve. Why? Because He has prayed. He has given the ultimate service. He has given the sacrifice of Himself on the cross. You know, when I look at my children, and particularly my son, many of you commented that he is a mini-me. That our mannerisms are the same, our actions are the same. When we get angry, oh, it's the same. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's fun. And as much as, um, as much as he's like me, and I, I'm going to warn you, teenagers and others, if you think, you think, oh, when I have kids, or maybe you're, you're, you're getting ready to get married, or, or you're dating, you're thinking, you know, I've, I've watched, and I've seen how kids interact with their parents when I have children it's going to be different I'm going to lay down the law and then you'll finally understand when you become a parent why your mom stayed up at night until you got back into the home why she would not go to sleep until you were back to your bedroom safely tucked away in the bed you'll understand these things but when I look at my son and I look at how many things and how he mimics me or how he's like me which could be a very dangerous thing um, I, I look at all these things as much as he's like me He's not me, and I'm not him. He has his own passion. He has his own heart. He has his own desires. And I have my own passions, my own desires. God has uniquely made us different. And so we tend to equate the same relationship when we look at Jesus and with the Father. And many of you fathers, you have sons that are just almost exactly like you. But I want you to understand this, that Jesus did not take after his father. He is one with the father. And to know the father is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know the father. And when God says he is love, Jesus becomes an extension of that. Jesus is love to the extent that he and the father are one. We believe that in our Christian understanding that Jesus and God are one and the same. It's just Jesus the son and God is the father. And this Trinitarian understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, if you want me to explain it, I can't. It's a mystery. It's not to be explained. It's just to be accepted in faith. I'm not going to spend days and weeks trying to explain the Trinity. I'm just going to tell you there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Each are unique and yet the same. Each have qualities that are unique and yet they're the same. They all function as one. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God the Father of heaven heaven and earth who has given his one and only son who has sacrificed his one and only son who has afforded us the opportunity to live in this life as we pray to receive Christ and as the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives 
The Holy Spirit is our intercessor, which means that the ability that we have to discern right and wrong, the ability that we have to make right decisions, is a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's movement in our lives. You say, well, I've never prayed to receive Christ. The Spirit is still working with you. The fact that we can come to know Christ is the fact that God is at work in us long before we confess Him. Why? Because God loves the world. And God desires all lost people like you and me to be saved. He believes in us before we ever believe in Him. He is pursuing us long before we are ever pursuing Him. Because God's relationship to His Son is built on love. Jesus' relationship to us is built on love. And our relationship to one another must be built on love. Jesus doesn't just take after His Father. He and the Father are one. To know the Father, therefore is to know the Son. And if you look in the passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, you'll see in that passage it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Calling to be like Christ, the calling to embody the love that God has for His Son, the love that Jesus embodies as He identifies with the Father and He is at one with the Father, is the same love that you and I are saved through and by, and is the same love that should compel us to not give up on people because God has never given up on us. God's relationship to the world is built on love. God's relationship to his son is built on love. And God's relationship to the church is built on love. John 3.16, as I've already read, says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Eternal life is for those who choose to believe in what God has done. The people who believe encompass or make up what has come to be known as the church. So the church is therefore built on the love of God. And in Acts chapter 20 verse 28, the Bible says, Be shepherd of the church which he bought with his own blood. How much does God love the church? He loves it so much that he was willing to give his life for it. He was willing to give his life for you and for me. That is a demonstration of his love. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. 
I want you to understand that this is not your church and it's not my church. It's not the founder's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the influential people's church. This church belongs to the lordship of Christ. If it flourishes, it's going to flourish because you and I humble ourselves before God and we say, God, not our will, not our plans. It is yours. Have us the way you want us. Help us to seek your face and help us to follow suit with what you ultimately desire when you and i give up to god when you and i surrender our control and that hey listen if you and i would surrender our marriages to him if you and i would surrender our relationships at work to him if you and i would surrender our relationship with our children to him if you and i would surrender our ownership or what we think is ours in the church to him you and i will be overwhelmed and amazed at what he can do there's a reason that nearly 85 to 90 percent of all evangelical churches in the United States are declining. And I can give you the first and foremost reason. Because they have forgotten what it means to love. You and I know those types of churches. I thank God every day that First Baptist Church is not like that. However, just because it's not like that now doesn't mean it could not become that. You and I have to be intentional about cultivating love. We have to be intentional about loving people. It's not always easy to love people. Sometimes it is immensely difficult to love people. We tend to love people that are like us. We tend to love people that appreciate us. We tend to love people that encourage us. We tend to love people that give us things. But what about the person who's discouraging? What about the person that spits at you? What about the person that cusses at you? What about the person that shows you the bird? What about the person that would soon kill you as to have to spend a day with you? Those people are the people that you and I have to immensely love. Why? Because God has not given up on them. If you love people because of what you're getting out of the relationship, rather than what you're giving to the relationship, you're loving for the wrong reasons. It's easy to love people that love us. It's immeasurably hard to love people who don't love us. But you and I don't get a choice. Why? Because God is not finished until people are reconciled to Him in Christ. God doesn't give up on people. God continues to work through people. And God, listen, God has planted you and me where we are today in this, the social structures that we're in, in the schools that we are in, in the, uh, in the leadership positions that we're in. If you're an assistant principal or a principal or athletic director or you have control over teams or whatnot, He has placed you in that space, not just so that you could take up the space. He has placed you in that space for His glory. Are you and I doing what we need to do? Are we allowing what God matters to us? Are we allowing what really matters to Him to infiltrate what should matter to us? You may be in your position for the sake, and here I'll just give it since a lot of us are, or a lot of you are educators, you may wonder why. Why am I teaching here? Why do I have this? Class, why do I teach this subject? Your whole 25, 30 years of teaching may be for one student that's going to darken your door 
next year. And here's the fact. They matter to God. They need to matter to us. Now I know as, uh, as teachers, as, as have worked in the church, when you're dealing with parents, aren't deal- educators, aren't dealing with parents fun? Aren't dealing, I mean, is it not fun to deal with parents? You send home that note, whose fault is it? Is it the parents' fault? Little Johnny would never do that unless the teacher provoked him. Have you not heard, I mean, is that not what happens? Am I not lying? <laughs> Teachers get blamed for everything. Educators get blamed for everything. And in the heat of the moment, you want to fire back. Think about what you load your cannon with. Think about the words that you use. And I'm not speaking to educators. It could be in any number of circles and environments. Doesn't matter what function you're in, what job you're in, what school you're in, what your teacher's in. You're going to have times and moments in your profession where somebody is going to get on your last nerve and you'd like to kick them to the curb. Some of you already kicked some to the curb. I'm just suggesting you might be the only Christ that they encounter. And if you are the only Christ that they encounter, what are they taking away from that dialogue? What kind of Jesus are you showing them? God has never given up on you. God has loved you since before you were in the womb, before the foundations of the world. God has loved you and he, has, he establishes you. He has given you gifts and talents. You are able to flourish because of him and through him. Don't let go of what really matters. Don't be so caught up in this microcosm that we fail to enjoy the expanse, the big picture of what God wants to do. I used to be so focused on these details that I would lose out on the big. Now I've gone the other extreme. I'm so focused on the grand picture that I don't pay attention to the details. That's why I have staff to help me, (laughs) to give me those details. God has not planned, and that's a very very important part of what I just said. God has given me a staff. God has not equipped you to do everything by yourself. God has given you a vision to focus on what you need to focus on. He's also surrounded you with people. Don't ignore those people. Invest in those people. Mentor those people. Use those people. Because your agenda is not God's agenda. Our agenda must be God's agenda. We will accomplish far more together than you and I could have ever accomplished alone. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. God's relationship to the world, God's relationship to his son, God's relationship to the church is built on love. As we close today, I want you to think about your relationship to God and how you pan that out, how that is fleshed out in your life. We know that God loves us. But how do you demonstrate your love for God? Why is it that you love God? 
Do you love God because you're getting something out of it? Or do you love God? Have you come to accept Christ in order that you could have a fire insurance policy so that when you die, you won't go to hell? Wrong idea. Because if you simply came to Christ to avoid hell, you're going to have a life of hell in this world. It's not that God has saved you so much from something. It is the fact that God has saved you for something. For something greater. I'm not going to spend 70 years working in this life for the life to attain in eternity. I'm going to live for God in this moment and enjoy the blessings of heaven in the real world now. Your experience. Here's the reason you don't want to wait. Don't wait to get right with God. Begin pursuing God now and you will enjoy a life that you never imagined. How do I know that? Because I know what it's like to live without God. I know what it's like to basically kick God to the curb and say, you know what? I want to do what I want to do. What's happened since I surrendered my life to Christ is the things that used to concern me, the things that used to be my motivators, the things that would captivate my attention, they no longer matter. Why? Because they don't matter to God. Begin thinking about what really matters to you at your core. And then ask yourself, are the things that matter to you, are they the things that matter to God? And if they're not, I can assure you that God has not made the mistake. You and I have faltered in our understanding of what he is, who he is, and what he's called us to be. Everything that matters to God is built on love. I don't want you to become a cookie-cutter Christian congregation where we all look alike, talk alike, sound alike, where we all believe all the same things all the time. Because I don't think cookie-cutter Christianity, the mass production of Christianity in the local church that's been realized in the last 10 years, I don't think it leads to authentic discipleship. That is, really and honestly pursuing God, following Him, growing in Him, and encouraging others to do the same. I think what leads people to become dynamic followers of Jesus... Is when you and I make the things that matter to God, when we make those things matter to us, and when we take everything else and throw it away. So begin thinking new and fresh about what matters to you. Think about what you're passionate about. Are you passionate about things that really in the end don't matter? Or are you concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Do you have an attentiveness to notice where God is moving? And do you put yourself in places and in situations to move as he's moving? I'm not asking you, are you praying for God to move where you want him to? I'm asking, are you willing to move where God is already moving? Listen, it's very arrogant of us to pray to God and say, God, I want you to move here. But what's humbling is when you say, God, make me aware of where you're moving and give me the strength and the courage to do what you want. And that will lead us to do ministries that there's a lot of churches that they're not doing today. 
Because it's not about looking like everybody else. It's not about being a First Baptist church. And when you go across the spectrum of looking at First Baptist churches, of making sure that we've done the things that First Baptist churches do. That is completely irrelevant. What matters is, are you and I pursuing God? Are we paying attention to where He's leading? And are we doing it? Here's what's going to happen. When you and I are sold out for Christ, we will do things that some First Baptist churches will never do. Your faithfulness and the litmus test of our faith is not our ability to look like somebody else. It's not our ability to mimic some other church. It's not our ability to mimic our favorite hero. The litmus test of discipleship is our ability to live out God's word and to love people the way God loves them. And to allow what matters to God to ultimately matter to us. That is where it begins and that's where it ends and the invitation simply today is this i want you to ask yourself what this question is all that matters to me does it matter to god and if the answer to that question is not an emphatic yes then during this invitation i want you being begin crossing out those things that you need to let go of Things that have mattered to you for all too long that in the end don't really matter. Let me give you an example. I know many of you parents are concerned about your child. And you think your child needs to be the next greatest athlete of all time. And you believe that your child is and can be. And if it is, that is wonderful. But I'm going to tell you something. Your prayer for your child, more than anything else, needs to be, first and foremost, that they are in a relationship to Christ, period. That's it. Not that they're the great athlete. Not that they're the great uh, academic individual. Not that they earn these degrees. Let me tell you something. That doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is, are you and I with fellowship with God? Have we given our life to Christ? Parents, be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Students, Be careful what you seek. You're not important because you're connected to somebody else. You're important because he made you and you are his. There's nothing that you need to fix about yourself. There's nothing that if you're worried about who you are, what you are, what you're experiencing. God made you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. But I can promise you this, he's not going to give up on you, even if you choose to give up on him. Whatever matters to God must matter to us. Everything that matters to God is built on love. This invitation is ours to make a decision. It is ours to be honest and authentic it is ours to experience but it is his to transform let's pray together god we thank you so much for this day our time in the word today and lord as we have 
moved across many parts of the New Testament. As we see how you have hovered over our lives, through our lives and through our experiences, one word speaks to it all, and that is love. And we think about the love of God, it's not this fun, emotion, puppy love that we so often experience. It is the love of God which has sent His Son into a world that the world might be redeemed through Him. Lord, as we sit here and we ask the question today, what matters to me? And we think about that list. And then we compare that to what matters to God. Many of us need to absolutely surrender our lists to you. Surrender our dreams to you. Surrender for what we want for our children to you. God, as we are honest, as we seek your face, and as you speak, and as you've spoken in so many ways today. May we be motivated by your love to make the world a better place. And that begins with us. To never give up on people. To never give up on ourselves. But to seek you, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what we've encountered, no matter where we currently are residing, or what life has done in the immediacy of this moment. God, you are speaking. Help us to hear and to be obedient. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and what has mattered to you, you've come to the realization that very little of what your life has been about is really what God would want it to be about. I want you to know this invitation is open. Now, if we're honest, you say, I don't know if I want to go down there to the altar because that would tell everybody, that would tell everybody that I've had my perspective wrong. That's absolutely right. But it would also tell everybody that now you've got your perspective right. There is no, listen, if we're going to be an honest congregation, authentic and transparent, we're going to come to the realization that we've all got situations that we honestly need God to work in. And actually, all the situations in our lives, God has got to work in Work and balance us, tweak us, mold us, and shape us. This is the invitation. This is your opportunity, our opportunity to tangibly, tangibly speak and act in accordance to His will. And my hope is that you'll do that. If God has spoken to you or is speaking to you today, this altar is open as we sing, as we stand, as we worship. Won't you come?